Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Why don't you go with me to Matthew chapter 28? I want to read from verses 16 to 20. This is one of the key passages of Scripture in the Bible that the church has been commissioned with, that we are founded on, that we are called to. It's so pivotal and important, not just to us as Numa Church, but the church universal and what God has called the Christian church to be about. Um, Matthew chapter 28 Verse 16 says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to speak to you today on the subject of fulfilling God's dream. Fulfilling God's dream. God has a dream. And He's partnering with us to fulfill it. Now this passage begins in verse 16 by highlighting a number. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And as I was praying yesterday and really looking at this passage in a fresh way for today, God began to speak to me about the significance of only 11 disciples because Jesus discipled 12 young men to actually carry on the mission and the cause of Jesus Christ to be the foundational government for the church to be built upon in the outpouring and fullness of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel and go and make disciples of all nations. And yet the Bible says there were only 11 disciples that actually gathered to him. God's original intention was more people, but we know that Judas actually, in in essence, Unchose himself, if ever, ever there was such a word. Let's just take liberty with the English language for a moment. To unchoose himself because the moment he became aware that there wasn't something in, in it for him in this earthly kingdom, he actually retreated and went to pursue that which would satisfy his own greed and his own selfish desires. In Matthew twenty two fourteen, Jesus said, Many are called but few are chosen. And Jesus has commissioned and He's called every single believer to make disciples of Jesus, but not every believer obeys the call to follow Him or to go and make disciples of Jesus. We can actually be called, but because we're so self-absorbed or we're caught up in our own lives, in our own plans, in our own families and and become so self-absorbed in our own goals and pursuits that we actually ignore the call to follow Jesus to go where He is going. You see, in 1999, I began an internship in my mum and dad's uh, local church and 
I was with many other young leaders at the time, both in the church and around the body of Christ. And we all started at Bible college together. We attended training retreats and different things that God was in fact calling us to. And at that time, each of these people were so passionate and they were committed and they were sold out. They were studying, they were preparing themselves for the ministry. But as the years went on, one by one, I heard of each of them just falling off and disappearing and retreating from the front line of what God had called them to, whether it was hurt or personal offence or all sorts of things that they were facing in their personal life. And as I look back at that uh, cohort of leaders that began that journey. I'm the only one left out of that whole group. It's so sad to hear of, of, of another friend who started a Bible college class with 32 students in uh, coming out of high school, full of faith and passion for the things of Jesus. He's the only one left actually following and serving Jesus. And as I began to think about and look at these 11 disciples, I heard the voice of the Spirit say, you've got to keep choosing the call to follow Jesus. You've got to keep choosing the call to follow Jesus. All of us could come up with several reasons to quit, to walk away. There could be hurt or personal offence that have taken place in church life. Things that have disappointed us, unfulfilled expectations, things that have hurt us or disillusioned us in our walk with God. Things we were believing for in faith to see someone, a loved one come to know Jesus or a sick person to be healed and maybe they died and we stepped back and we retreated and, and we're present in church on Sunday, but we're absent in our followership and in our stewardship and discipleship and obedience to what God has called us to do. Can I encourage you today? You've got to choose the call to follow Jesus. It's not a one-time call. It's not a two-time call. Every single day of your life, you You've got to make a conscious decision. Jesus, I'm going to follow you, even if it's challenging, even if it's difficult, even if it doesn't go my way, because the call of Jesus doesn't just come to you one time. It comes to you every single day of our life. Whatever reasons you've come up with to justify retreating from what God is calling you to, can I just suggest to you, compared to the glory, greatness and goodness of who Jesus is, none of those reasons are justifiable. They are not justifiable. There is nothing that we could come up with when we stand before Him and say, well, I stopped following you. I stopped answering the call because, you know, um, my, my dog died or, or, you know, just I didn't feel like it or I got tired or I got fatigued. We all get, I'm so glad Jesus didn't give up on the cross just before. I'm so glad He didn't just bow down to Lucifer and, 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 and allow himself to actually build an earthly kingdom. But he said, yet not my will, but my Father will be done, but your will be done in my life. And you and I are here today, a part of the church of Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of God. You've got to keep choosing the call to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't give options in the Bible. In the Gospels, when you encounter him, he doesn't, you know, well, you, you know, choose this or choose that. I, I, he actually only gives invitations and he gives commands and commissions. You've got to keep choosing the invitation. We, we live in such a culture of options that we think that, you know, I can believe in Jesus and, 
and this is what it means. And I think modern churchianity has watered down the fullness of the gospel and what it actually means to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross, deny yourself and go where I'm going. Follow me and I'm going to make you something. Stop trying to make your life something and follow Jesus. He'll make your life something. But often we've watered down the the gospel, excuse me, to, to try and placate ourselves or make ourselves feel more comfortable in life when in fact we need to embrace some of the discomfort even of this message today to challenge us out of our spiritual apathy to go where Jesus is calling us to go. The passage goes on and in verse 17, it says, And when those 11 disciples saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. You know, everything changes when you get a vision of Jesus. Everything changes when you get a glimpse of his glory and his majesty and of who he really is. The only reasonable, rational and intelligent response to capturing a vision of who Jesus is, is to present your body as a living sacrifice and lay your life down in worship. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this is Paul's appeal to the Roman believers. He says, I appeal to you in view of God's mercy to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship when you encounter the reality of who Jesus is. Not not a false image of who He is, not even necessarily how the church at times throughout history has presented Him, but when you encounter the living, breathing, authentic reality, the way, the truth and the life of who Jesus is, the only reasonable, rational, intelligent response is to worship Him. They saw Jesus and they worshipped Him, but some doubted. If your worship is leading you to doubt Jesus, you're not doing it properly. Well, that went down well, didn't it? No, seriously, you're not doing it properly. If your worship is leading you to more doubt, then maybe you're not truly worshipping. Maybe you haven't caught a glimpse of who He truly is because true worship will always lead you to more faith. True worship will lead you to a deeper intimacy. True worship will lead you into a place of a deeper revelation and encounter. What did Paul pray? That the eyes of our heart would be enlightened and that we would be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. To know the hope to which we're called. To see Him for who He really is. He who comes to God must believe that He exists and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him singing some songs and going through the motions, but not being brought into a deeper dimension of faith into who Jesus is, is not worship in spirit and truth. Jesus was having a conversation with the woman of Samaria, the Samaritan woman at the well. And there was this divine, beautiful exchange of the innocence and the brokenness of of this Samaritan woman in her questions of Jesus. Jesus is not afraid of your questions. And he starts to talk to this woman about where where true satisfaction in life is from. And 
Then they began to speak about where are we to worship, on the mountain, as the Samaritans say, or in the temple in Jerusalem, as the Jews would say. And Jesus says this in John 4, 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit. Everybody say in spirit. And everybody say and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I I just feel grief at times from the heart of God and in the heart of God that we've turned worship in the modern church into sort of two fast songs, two slow songs sandwiched with an exhortation in the middle. We're so focused on the clock and the talent of the musicianship and we critique the performance and the production and we miss the whole point of what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. We've got to be so careful that we don't allow the clock to dictate our worship, our affection, our devotion, where if we just tick off the minutes and we go through the motions and we've got enough talented vocalists and there's enough lights, camera, action. Oh, we've had church today. Oh no, we, we, church is not just full of people. Church is when the atmosphere, the presence of God is invading every nook and cranny of the space of our hearts and of our lives because there is a worship in spirit and in truth. If our worship is leading us into a place of greater despair and doubt about the Christian faith, maybe we're not worshipping in spirit and truth. They saw Jesus and they worshipped Him, but still some doubted. And then in verse 18, Jesus comes and He says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Absolutely mind-blowing. Your brain, my brain cannot comprehend the reality of that that the Father has given to Jesus after He rose from the dead all authority in heaven and earth, both supernatural and natural, that His authority is universal. The Bible says in Revelation 1.17 that the Father has given to Jesus the keys of death and Hades are in His hands. It means Jesus has authority over death itself. It says in Jesus' high priestly prayer as He was praying to the Father in John 17, 2, you've given me authority to grant eternal life to those who believe in you. Now, it's so important we understand Jesus could only receive what He was submitted to. He received all authority in heaven and on earth because He was submitted to the authority of the Father. You can only receive what you're submitted to. When the centurion came to Jesus and was asking Jesus to heal his servant, he said these words, only say the word. You don't need to come into my house. What great faith, Jesus said. You don't need to come into my house. You just need to declare the word and my servant will be healed. Why? For I too, the centurion said, am a man under authority. I have soldiers under me and I tell them to go and do that and they do this. I tell them to come here and do that and they do that. He says, I understand authority. You only need to say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, never have I seen such great faith in all of Israel. You see, if you want to exercise the authority of heaven, you've got to submit to the authority of heaven 
in your life. I learned this as a youth pastor in such a significant way. When I was serving Dr. Alan Meyer, I learned a great lesson about the role of spiritual authority in the local church. And so uh, uh, Pastor Alan Meyer had asked me to preach on on the Sunday night. We were in a, a series of teaching and and there was a particular focus, a particular text, and a particular message that he wanted me to preach. And, and so he was going away to minister at another church and was coming back the next week. And so um, we'd all prepped as a team. And on the Sunday afternoon, I had a brain fade and thought that I should preach something else. And, and so I got up on the Sunday night, preached a different message, justifying it. Well, the Lord told me to preach a different message. And, and even there was some fruit that came out of it because even when you're outside of authority and yet your heart's pure. God will still honour it somehow. And then at the end of the, 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 the night and, and during that week when Papa came back home to the office and knocked on my office door and, and we had a fatherly chat and he sat down and he said, hey, um, tell me about Sunday. And I'm telling him all the amazing reports and about what happened Sunday night. And he said, yeah, what, what happened with the message on Sunday night? It's, it was different to what I asked him. I said, well, yeah, I felt the Lord wanted me to go this way and that way. And he just spoke to me and said, I hear your heart, son, but the Holy Spirit asked me on behalf of the church for us to focus on this teaching and this this message because of what we're trying to do right now in the life of the church. And so the next time I ask you to preach on something, it's because the Holy Spirit's instructed me and I'm delegating that authority to you because the authority you receive is the authority you exercise. And, and, And you know, that wasn't controlling, it was empowering. It wasn't manipulative. It was helping me understand that even in the life of the local church, there is biblical spiritual authority that God has called us to honour. And I began to think about, hey, if we can't honour biblical, pure spiritual authority in the local church, how could we ever obey all authority in heaven and on earth to go and make disciples of all nations? It begins in your own backyard. And it's not about, you know, blindly following or being loyal to sinful, unbiblical, manipulative, controlling leadership and authority. That is not what the gospel is about. It's not what Jesus is about. Jesus said, you want to be great. You want to be a leader. Then don't lord your authority over people. Actually use your authority, Paul said, to build up and encourage and to edify and to empower. And so when that's the heart, if we can't come into alignment and honour the spiritual authority in our lives, how can we ever be obedient to go and disciple cities and nations? Is that okay if I preach truth today? Because, you know, like even how we treat ushers in the life of the church and how we treat life group leaders and how we honour staff and and how many know honour? I'm going to speak into this this year, but honour's not just one way. It's 360 degrees. We'd honour everyone because everyone's made in the image of God. Everyone has value. But also in the life of the church, it doesn't mean everyone is empowered with equal authority in the local church. It also means that there, there are those, even the ushers, who will ask you to do certain things at times or, or direct traffic. They've been given delegated authority So the authority you're under is the authority you exercise. And so Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. What does he do with it? Does he use it to serve himself? 
Does he use it to build an earthly kingdom? You know what he did with it? He commissioned every single believer to go and make disciples of all nations. He commissioned us. He said in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them, discipling them to obey everything that I have commanded you to do. Here's the deal. You can't make one if you aren't already one. It's a little bit heavy. You can't make a disciple if you're not one. God has built into natural law, into creation in Genesis 1, that we can only reproduce according to our kind. As in the natural, so in the spiritual. You and I are called to go and make disciples of all nations, but we will only reproduce who we are, not who we want to be. I think so few lost people are being made disciples in the modern Western church because so few believers are actually disciples of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus means you are a student, you are a learner. It means there is a hunger, there is a commitment to be teachable, to grow in Christ's likeness and humility. There is a, a passion and a desire to be with Jesus, to be more like Jesus. Nowhere does it say that being a disciple of Jesus is only just attending church for 90 minutes on a Sunday. And I think what has happened is we have got such a distorted view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus that we've compartmentalized our discipleship or our followership into a 90-minute service on a Sunday. Maybe for some believers, they think they're committed if they come once a month. And yet Jesus laid down his entire life for you to be set free from the life of sin. Whilst we're absorbed in our personal lives, Jesus is saying, hey, I've taken the authority the Father has given me and I've commissioned you. And often what we do is we spend our time asking God for direction for his will for our lives. God, what is your will for my life? And when we ask that question, we're asking for the specific blueprint for you know what we should do for a vocation or career, what should we study, who should we marry, you know, what sh- where should I live, uh, what, what, where should I go over holiday, and we, we want God's specific will in these other peripheral details. Meanwhile, the will of God, His general call to every believer, is staring us in the face. Asking God for what His will is for our lives is a little bit like using a flashlight to try to find the sun. It's pointless because like the sun, God's will isn't lost. It's been staring us in the face all along. You don't need to find the will of God. You simply need to obey the will of God. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us what His will is, that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the mandate. This is the call to go and make disciples of all nations. So don't allow yourself to become spiritually paralyzed, waiting for an audible voice from heaven about God's unrevealed will when there is a verse that is staring us in the face. 
calling us to obey His already revealed will. I spent years trying to discern the will of God in certain areas of my life. But the moment I simply surrendered, laid my life down and obeyed His call to every single one of us to go and make disciples, it's amazing how He added all these other things. If you'll obey God's revealed will, His unrevealed will will be revealed to you. He says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and my and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. Stop trying to chase all these other things and simply seek first his kingdom, his rule, his reign, those things he's already asked us to do. And it's amazing how all the other things that you need and that you lack will be added to you. The reason that God has called us to go and make disciples is not because of some, you know, corporate franchise program to indoctrinate the world. It's because of the Father's heart for lost humanity to be reconciled back to Himself. You see, God has a dream and that dream is Habakkuk 2.14. For the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How will that dream be fulfilled if we don't go and make disciples of all nations? Many of us are trying to get God to bless our dream well, God is looking for someone to join him in his dream. So many books have been written. So many things have been written about, about how to get the favour of God and how to live, you know, your best life now and how to, to live out your dreams. Let me tell you how you get the favour of God. You surrender your life to Jesus and you join him in his dream. You simply follow him and the favour of God gets on you. The blessing of God gets on you. You know, growing up in church as a pastor's kid, I wrestled with obeying God's call to go and make disciples of all nations. I wanted to go and make money as a professional athlete. And so as an adolescent, I'd spend three, four, five hours a day training and competing. And and I did everything I could. And the best I got was Puma sent me a letter and gave me a hat and a T-shirt. All the best with your career. So I felt really encouraged in the Lord and I, I, I'm trying to, you know, make headway all the while that the call of God, the verse of God is staring at me in my face, calling me, beckoning me to lay my life down and to follow Him. And I remember one night at midnight over 25 years ago, just totally being frustrated and, and with absolute re- reluctance where I was, I'd hit the wall between God's will and my will. I had to make a decision. And so at midnight, I went out into the court. I was living at home with mum and dad at the time. And I yelled out into the night sky, all right already. (laughs) True story. I'll answer your call, but you better take me around the world. That's what I said. (laughs) I was like trying to negotiate. And all I could see in, in the sanctified imagination was a picture of Father God with a big smile on his face. And I could hear the words, you have no idea what I'm about to do with you, son. Fast forward 15 years later, I'm preaching over 350 times in one year around the world. Now I'm in my hotel room with my thumb in my mouth in the fetal position asking God, can I please go home now? I'm sorry I prayed that prayer. And he's like, well, make up your mind. I thought you wanted me to take you around the world. And now here it is. And the point of the story is this. Number one, be careful what you pray for. God takes your prayers seriously. 
Some of us have lived so long in the wilderness of unanswered prayer, we think, oh, he doesn't answer. Oh, yes, he does. When you get on his page, when you start to pray his desires, when you start to go after his dream, answer after answer after answer after answer will come. And so if God's not answering your prayers, maybe change your prayer, maybe ask a different question, maybe ask the questions that are on his heart and watch the answers come. It'll overwhelm you. You feel like you're holding on to the back of a Ferrari just trying to keep up with what God wants to do. The second point of the story is God will even use reluctant surrender to fulfill his dream. He'll take a Jonah that's going in the opposite direction. And Jonah's like, I know why this storm's here. I'm being disobedient. Just throw me in. Let's see what happens. God's like, great, fish, Moby Dick, go swallow him. Let's take him all the way back to Nineveh to work this thing out. And God will even use reluctant surrender wrestling, temper tantrum your way all the way to the will of God because he has a dream of people who are far away from him, who are lost and who are broken, people we pass by every day, people we work with who are sitting in a cubicle next to us, people in our family, people on the other side of the world. And he says, I'm calling you, Numa. I'm calling you, believer, to disciple cities and nations. He wouldn't commission you to do it if it wasn't possible. We say, we're going to start to think like God. How is this even possible? It's only possible when you surrender your will and you say, yet not my will, but your will be done. And you get so filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of His Word that something in you changes and you begin to think like Him. You begin to live and speak like Him. And before you know it, God starts to change history through your simple surrender. David and Pamela Ratcliffe are legends in our church, have been at the church literally decades. And David has uh, formerly been the mission pastor of the church, what Pastor Rob is doing today. And he was sharing with me over lunch before Christmas some of the story of what he went through in his journey of leading the global mission focus of the church. And he was a, a businessman, had a thriving business, but it came to a watershed moment in his walk with God where God asked him to give $2,000, not a whole lot of money, but for him, it was a massive struggle and wrestle. And Pamela, his wife, was like, what are you fussing about? Just be obedient. Do what God tells you to do. Thank God for godly wives. And so what are you fussing about? Just be obedient. David was wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. And finally, he let go of that $2,000 and he surrendered it. He invested it into the kingdom of God. I tell you, the best investment you can ever make is not your property portfolio. It's into the eternal riches of the kingdom of God. You cannot outgive God. And he gives what seemingly to him seemed like a lot of money at the time, but to others maybe isn't a lot of money. He gave it. He released it. And he said it was a watershed moment. As he looks back at his life, everything changed in his business. Everything changed in his ministry. Everything changed in his life on that day. Because he released and was obedient to what God asked him to do. That not only did it impact the business that he was leading, but years later when God asked him to give so much more that would just blow your mind there was an ease and a grace. He says, it was easier to give the more than the 2,000 because the matter of my heart had been dealt with. It had been resolved. 
I'd worked it through and I knew exactly what he's talking about. There are these watershed moments in our lives where that which we are clinging to and holding so tightly, God says, that, lay it down. And he doesn't tell you what's about to happen afterwards. He just says, jump in the river, follow me. And, and, and if you want to walk on water, people, you've got to get out of the boat and you've got to step out. And you don't know whether you're going to be able to walk or sink. But I'm telling you, his word is your foundation. If he's asked you to do it, You step out and watch what God does. And God began to use his life and his family amazingly. To this day, there are entire nations that are being impacted by the ministry of global mission because of one decision to surrender. One's dream to pick up God's dream. What did Jesus say? Just before he ascended to the Father in verse 20, he said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Have you noticed how many of Jesus' promises about his presence are actually connected to us going where he's going? We often want God's presence to come where we are. No, no, what he says is, no, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. We're like, Jesus, I'm living life on my terms. I'm going and doing what I want. Hey, can you join me in what I'm doing? No, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Promises like John 12, 26, whoever serves me must follow me. Listen to this. And where I am, my servant also will be. You know, God only promises his abiding presence to those who are going where he's going. He says, behold, I'll be with you always to the end of the age as you are going. Where is Jesus going? He's going to the nations to disciple them. And he's called us as his church, his followers and his believers to lay down our lives, to pick up our crosses and to follow him where he's going. He says things like Psalm 2.8, ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.